Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And now, your host, Ben Adelberg. And thanks again for joining me here at the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 62. I hope everyone is having a great week, and if your weather sucks, well... I hope it gets better soon so that you can get out on the golf course. Ironically, I was able to get out on the Blue Monster on Sunday, former home of the WGC event at Doral, while DJ was actually wrapping up the WGC in Mexico City. So, fun day. I think DJ had more fun than I did. Well, who really knows? But anyway, I had a fun day. Special thanks to my buddy Kenny G for taking care of that. Not that Kenny G, a different Kenny G altogether, but... Thanks so much for the hookup, and I will definitely get you back next time. So, there are a lot of things going on in the world of golf with regards to the new rules. I know that Ricky Fowler was assessed a one-shot penalty because he took a shoulder height drop. Um, I know we have a bit of an issue with backstopping apparently now on the LPGA Tour. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you'll know that I rarely get into current events because these episodes are primarily just interviews and their evergreen content. So that means it's just as relevant today as it will be six months from now. So that being said, I always like to get a little conversation going about the current state of the game. That's why you need to follow us on Instagram at the Back of the Range podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter as well. So that's where the conversation about the current state of events will take place. So love to get your feedback, love to get your thoughts on everything that's going on in the game of golf, and let's get a good conversation going there. Also, just so you know, everything is available in the show notes of this episode. So you can find links to our website, that's thebackoftherange.com, and also links to Rogue Theory. They're the ones that actually put together our new theme music. So go check them out. We receive great feedback on the theme music. Make sure you go check them out on Spotify. They're a great band. If you're in South Florida, go check them out live. As I said earlier, this is episode 62. Our guest this week knows a little something about that number. You see, Colin Morikawa shot a final round 62 to win the 2016 Sunny Hanna Amateur. In case you didn't know, that is one of the most competitive and elite amateur invitationals in the country. Some of their former champs, Ricky Fowler, Webb Simpson, and Ben Crenshaw. Colin Morikawa is the number two ranked amateur in the world. Back in 2017, he went undefeated, that's 4-0, in the 2017 Walker Cup matches at LA Country Club. He's played in the Palmer Cup twice. He's won the Transmiss Amateur in 2015. He runnered up in a Web.com event as an amateur. So he's clearly accomplished quite a bit in his collegiate career. He's wrapping up soon. He's a Cal Bear. They're going to make a run at the national championship. But after that, he is going to join the professional ranks. So if you're wondering who the next breakout stars in the PGA Tour are going to be in the next couple of years, well, this just might be one of those guys. So I hope you all enjoy this episode, and I hope you enjoy getting to know Colin Morikawa like I did. Colin, welcome to the back of the range. No, thank you for having me. So, Colin, I said in the intro to this episode that you're the number two ranked amateur in the world. When you hear that, do you get excited by that or do you just kind of shake your head and think to yourself, how in the hell did that happen? <laughs> no, I mean, it's awesome. 
you know, I think ever since I was a little kid, I've always kind of loved golf and I knew that, you know, I wanted to become a professional one day and there's obviously a lot of steps that you have to go through and, and kind of take the journey that everyone takes. And, you know, to look back at it, it just seems like it was such a short time ago. Right. And now that, you know, it's, it's almost to that point is uh, really exciting for me. Well, let's let's make the host feel as old as possible. You were born the year that I played my first year of college golf, so we'll just get that <laughs> out of the way. But you grew up in L.A., La Cunada, Flint Ridge. You grew up there. Um, did you play other sports? I always like to give our listeners an idea of how you got to where you got and all starts at the beginning. So how did you get into golf? Get, walk me through that a little bit. Yeah, so, um, you know, I did play other sports. So I did play baseball and basketball. Um, loved them both. Uh, I used to ski a lot. And, and then, you know, as, as I kind of turned around 11 to 12, I knew if I really wanted to become what I, you know, dreamt of, I had to kind of give it up and, and really focus on something. And, and I thought, you know, it was a great decision. Um, but growing up, my parents didn't really play golf. They, they kind of were introduced to the game by some friends when I was born and, and when I was, you know, before walking, I, I kind of just joined them on the range. And sure. as I was able to, I think at the age of like four or five, just go to the range with them and start hitting balls. And they started to pretty much stop playing. And, and you know, I don't think they really pick up a club at all um, any time of the year. And it's been awesome because they're some of the most supportive parents out there and they've been amazing to kind of my help and, and where I've been and, and have gotten. Yeah. Well, well, that's interesting. Cause you know, I've, I've spoken to a lot of, of, of amateurs and, and actually just, just about every one of my guests, I always like to find out how they got started and it runs the gamut from, you know, my dad was a teaching pro or my grandfather played, or, you know, I learned it from, you know, my, I'd go out in the course with mom or dad. Is it almost better? Well, I can't say almost better, but is it, is it <laughs> kind of like interesting that your parents don't play so they're proud of your success at any level, any kind of success you have. What's the dy- dynamic trying to explain to your parents? Um, okay, I know I, I know I came in fifth, but that's that's just not good enough for me. Or you know, like, how is that dynamic trying to explain to parents that, that don't play the game? Yeah, I, I think they really understand. So my dad would always come to my lessons. Um, okay. I mean, every single one, every week, um, you know, until I was maybe 12 years old, 11 or 12. So he understands the game. He still loves it. Um, it's just, you know, with time, he, he's got to be able to to work and then follow and travel with me over the summers and, right. you know, throughout the circuit. So they, they understand. They're really competitive. And I think that's, you know, something I love just with anything to be competitive. And so they understand, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're trying to win. We're not trying to come in second. but. Sure it's golf and you know, you lose more than you're going to win. So it, it's about understanding what you need to work on. And, and they've been amazing with that kind of giving me the tools I need to really succeed on the golf course and, and off the golf course as well. Right. Well, you, you mentioned that you, you have this dream of playing professionally, which you're going to embark on fairly soon after your college career at Cal is over. I, I know that something that may be a dream of every junior that's playing is I want to be on the PGA tour and that's probably based on what you see uh, on TV or at professional tournaments. Do you can you pinpoint a time where, through your amateur or collegiate events, it really did hit home that okay, I really do want to do this for a living, not just for what I see, but I like the life. When I won, so what really kickstarted my 
kind of amateur and junior career was winning Western Junior back in 2013. Right. And that kind of put me on the scene and I was able to put my name out there and then winning the Transmiss in 2015 right before I was headed to Cal um, that fall was, you know, really the the bonus to getting me through, the, you know, the first couple of years of college and giving me some confidence. And, you know, I can't really say there was a pinpoint. I think ever since I put this dream ahead of me and, and put this goal of, of becoming a professional, I think, you know, it, even as a younger kid, I've, I've always wanted to have that lifestyle, you know, no matter what, what it was or how golf, how the game of golf is doing. I think I always wanted to do it. And fortunately for golfers now, you know, the game is at a high level with Tiger coming back and playing well and, and all these young guys coming out and really competing. I think it's amazing. So yeah, this, this dream of mine has always been there and it's never really wavered from that. Nice. Nice. Well, you mentioned 2013, mentioned 2015. Um, I got a hit on the son of Hannah in 2016 because you won that tournament with just an incredible final round. I think it was 62 in the final round. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're there, but it took this amazing final round to get that win. You've done a lot of that through whether it's the uh, Air Capital Classic when you got the web.com start. You've done that in a lot of other tournaments. Um, I'm fascinated by the ability of players to immediately go low, but I'm, I'm also fascinated by the fact that they can do it after kind of just treading water with maybe a 70 or 71, then all of a sudden the floodgates open up. Can you think back to that leading into that final round of the Santa Ana, like, how did that happen? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I know, I know you you got skills, but I'm just saying, like, does it ever shock you? And like, okay, where did that come from? Yeah, no, it's uh, whenever you have those rounds, I think you really have to just enjoy them, and, and it really you you can't plan for them. You can't sure. plan for you know a 60 or 61 or 62. You just as as the round goes, and that, that's what's great about golf is that you kind of you play one hole at a time, and and when you really do focus on that one shot, it kind of you know it, it does help you and it moves you forward to the next one. And at at that point at Sunny Hannah, I knew there was you know a, a bunch of guys on the leaderboard, and and the only way to come out on top was to have a low round. So sure. if you know and you're comfortable with the course, um, it, it kind of puts you in a good feeling and, and your confidence is high, but also your mental game's high. Your, your swing's good. You're physically, you feel good about yourself. And I think heading into those certain rounds, um, you know, that's, that's how I felt, but I think, uh, and a great mentality I had, which was especially at the air capital was I, I had nothing to lose. Right. Right. Um, there's, there's nothing to lose out there. You've practiced everything. It's, it's just another round. So why not just go out and have some fun? And, and that's what I've kind of been brought to uh, the golf course and everywhere I've gone. And it's been amazing. And air cop air capital was one of the best weeks of my oh, life. Yeah. We're, especially we're, right after sunny Hannah. Oh yeah. Well, we're, we're going to get into that, but I don't want to gloss <laughs> over, um, you know, Cal, you, were uh, first team All-American in AG, AJGA, I think the next year, honorable mention, but you're at the top of the list of all these juniors and you know nationally ranked juniors. I'd imagine you had your choice of anywhere that you wanted to go to college. Um, why, obviously being a native of California, but, but how, did, how did Cal come into the picture? Yeah, so my mom went to USC and growing up in LA and, and both my parents grew up in LA actually. I've always loved the West Coast, always loved California. Um, so I, I had a big, strong connection to all the schools in the, in the PAC 12 sure. and, and staying West coast. And I, I, you know, I looked around throughout the country cause I, there's so many great programs everywhere and they're so strong, 
but you know ultimately I, I did want to stay in the Pac-12 I thought they're one of the best conferences if not the best and you know I, to me it just I felt I needed to feel comfortable with whatever decision and where I was going to be I'm, you know everyone's on your own you have new teammates guys you don't know and, and some guys you know and I think on, on all the schools in California, I, I kind of knew some guys that were on the team and are going to be on the team uh, with me. And Cal just, you know, fit what I needed. I, I needed somewhere where I was going to be challenged, you know, not just athletically on the golf course, but also academically. And with the coaches we had, um, we, we have our assistant coach when I came in. He's our head coach now, Walter Chun. They've been amazing, and I've just been able to grow so much, and I think I've learned a crazy amount, which is awesome. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. You're a, you're a Cal guy. Um, if I say the phrase, the band is on the field, what can you tell me about that? Oh, we, we know the football game. Okay, yep. good, it's, good. It's the game. Okay, yes. okay, good. So that was back in 1982, but I just want to see if I can catch you. So you know your Cal, <laughs> you know your Cal football history? A little bit. And it, it's been really cool. I think my freshman year, you know, I'd, I'd be able to see Jared Goff in the gym once in a while and, and to see where he is now. And the athletes that Cal has produced sure. is amazing. And just to be, you know, a part of a list of many is it's kind of historic and very honorable. So what are your plans for the Super Bowl? What are my plans for the Super Bowl? Yeah. Uh, you know, probably sit back with some guys on the team and, and really enjoy it. It's uh, obviously I have the LA Rams to root for. Of course. Uh, growing up, I, I didn't really watch NFL just because NFL, you know, there, there wasn't an LA team and I never really got into it. But you can call me a bandwagon. Uh, I have not switched to the Warriors, though. I'm a big Lakers fan and, and always will be. Nice. Um, even, yes. be even before LeBron. Yeah. Even before LeBron. Even, Le even before LeBron, yeah. No, it's I've always grown up a Lakers fan. My family likes Lakers. Nice. Uh, Lakers and Dodgers, L.A. at heart. Yeah. Yeah. A nice little resurgence for the Dodgers. And uh, <laughs> they got to get over that hump, though. But uh, those Red Sox are just a, a pain over there in the American League. Yeah. Um, you know, it's well known you're going to be turning professional after your college career is over. Uh, I would imagine, I'm not speaking for you, but I would imagine there's a lot of people uh, in the agent world that are fully aware of who you are and what you've accomplished in the last couple of years. But you've made the decision to stay amateur and complete your college career where other people have, have left early and, and chased down the dream of the PGA Tour. Was there anything specific that helped you make that decision to stay as an amateur? Yeah, so I mean, like I said, why I chose Cal was was partly because academics and and the balance of academics and athletics. Sure. And I, fortunately enough, have been able to get into the high school business at Cal, which is a two year program uh, that you apply during your sophomore year. And you know, I, I wouldn't challenge myself and push myself this hard just to leave and finish and not finish with a semester or a year left. You know, I would have chosen a different path if I felt like I was going to be able to grow that quickly. But right. throughout my four years at Cal, I knew that it's the, the process of learning with your teammates and your coaches and the, you learn so much that it's just invaluable to the future that you're able to kind of really figure out what you need to do um, as you turn professional and, and, you know, even though I do feel ready, I feel like this next semester, I'm going to be able to enjoy it and really get as prepared as I need, um, for, you know, when I do turn pro. So I think the, the four years here will always be with me and, and to finish out my degree and, and really finish it in four years, which is not 
as easy as, as some people think, uh, especially at Cal, I think is, is a great accomplishment for me and just an extra boost uh, as, I, as I turn pro. Yeah, I, I took seven years, but that shouldn't be a shock to anyone listening <laughs> to this podcast. But, uh, you know, that's uh, that we're not we're not talking about me right now. We're talking about you. So um, you've had just a really I mean, I'm looking at all the things you've gotten to do. I mean, you've played a lot of a lot of tournaments and you know, obviously USGA events and invitationals, but you've also done a lot of traveling and a lot of team events. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I definitely want to get to Walker cup. There's a few that I do want to hit on, but, um, tell me about the first time that Walker cup really started to enter your mind. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, uh, right before the practice session, I knew about the practice session and I had, let's see, that would, that would be, be like December of 2016, something like that. Right. Okay. Right. So the beginning of my sophomore year and I had a decent, uh, freshman year, but then obviously the, the win at sunny Hannah helped a lot. And then I, I made a run into the round of 16 at the US am. And, and as I, as my rankings started going up and, and it moved up, I, that's something I really wanted to make. I really wanted to make the Walker cup, but even the practice session, I really wanted to make that and be a part of that. Sure. And, you know, I, I had a decent fall and, and as the teams are announced for the practice session, you make that, how was that um, practice session? Not to, not, I just didn't want you to gloss yeah. over, but but the practice session. You know, they just had the uh, the, uh, the practice session for the 2019, 2019 team down here in South mm-hmm. Florida. When you're at that practice session, I mean, some of the guys. I mean, obviously, we know who made the team, but you're there with. Oh gosh, you're there. Uh, I mean, who who was there? I know who's on the team, but I don't want to say someone that was there or someone that was yeah. there that wasn't. But when you get into that mode. Uh, you're looking around kind of sizing everyone up or what's, what's the vibe at a practice session for the Walker cup team? I think the practice session is so much fun. You get to meet all these guys that you see on a weekly basis, almost or a monthly basis and just play these amazing courses, do some amazing things, kind of tour around. And I'm sure the guys this past winter had a blast out there and, and just really enjoyed it, especially, uh, getting to play. I think they played the bears club Jack's course and, yep. Um, just a you know a lot of fun. I think leading up to the days at the Walker Cup, right before the turn, the two days, it's you. It's a, it's such a long week. It's you. You have about a week and a half. They bring you in about a week and a half, and you get to meet your team. And unfortunately for me, I, I, I knew most of my team. We had a couple of young guys that kind of didn't know each other. But at the end of the week, we are just the best family. We are the best friends, and you know we'll always remain in touch. And sure. I think that's what our captain did, Spider Miller you know, really put us together. And, but the, the two days are the quickest two days I've ever felt, um, at the Walker cup. It was two days of just competition nonstop on the golf course, kind of rooting on your team. Um, and then it's over and it's kind of like, wow, you know, <laughs> yeah. you look back and it's in a blink of an eye, you're, you're done. And I think that's kind of what's cool. And, and what sucks about that is that it's just so short, the two days, but it's some of the most memorable two days I'll ever have. Well, and you, yeah, it's 36 Saturday, 36 Sunday, and just going basically, uh, you know, partners, then singles, then partners, then singles. You know, it's funny, you hear all this, uh, I, I guess, kind of the, the rep on, uh, or the, the word about a U.S. Ryder Cup team is how are these guys going to get together and what's the camaraderie, and, and there's always been that sort of thing that put out there by the media, but it sounds to me that U.S. Walker Cup, you guys just fall in line and, and just really uh, have a nice relationship with all the other guys on their team. Uh, I know that, I know that Spider Miller was the captain in 2015. I know he gave nicknames to all of his players. 
Oh, good. You're laughing. I know where we're going. Perfect. So, no, I, I actually did not know that. So, oh, you didn't I, know that? Oh, yeah. No, so, I didn't. So no. in 2015, you know, because his name is John Miller, but his nickname is Spider, he gave nicknames to all of his guys. So he called, um, you know, Mike McCoy was on our podcast last year. They called him Uncle Mike because he was one of the older guys. And then he called DeChambeau, Bill Nye, the science guy, and he had nicknames for everyone. Did he give nicknames to your team? Not that I can remember. Really? I, I wish I kind of wish we did. I'm gonna have to talk to him about that. Um, but no, we did not. You know, it was uh, there was one goal he put out. And obviously, the loss in 2015 was kind of tough, and yeah. he wanted to come out and just absolutely, you know, destroy destroy, destroy them. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And uh, we all wanted to do it for him and. It was just a great experience with him being the captain for the second year and coming out on top. Yeah, well, you guys did uh, did destroy the GB and I. I hate to hate to you know bury them a little bit here in my my lead up to this next question, but uh, you're you're the opening match with Norman Jong and and you go up against Alfie Plant, and Harry Ellis. You're the leadoff. Um, you guys won eight and seven. So uh, how? Yeah. So where did this pairing come about? I know that you that you know Norman was at Oregon at the time. I know he's since turned pro, but uh, definitely a Pac-12 guy. Can you? Where did the uh, uh, the genesis of that pairing start? Because you paired with him in the afternoon, the ne- or the morning the next day as well, and you guys mm-hmm. won that one too. But where did your pairing? Where did the the idea of that start? Yeah. So, I mean, I've known Norman for a while now and and obviously he's an amazing player and um, that kind of started from just spider, I think seeing who would work the best with each other. And as, and you, you learn a lot about each other uh, with the 10 guys within that week span leading up. And I think, you know, putting down certain names on who you wanted to play with and testing them out while we were practicing was was awesome and you know i think norman and i knew we were going to be a great match if we figured out what holes we needed to tee off i think uh you know obviously we we did in the end but yeah um we had to just really figure out what was going to work best for us and and we you know we stayed out of each other's way we kind of just moved forward hit the next shot and enjoyed it as much as we can you know i was able to hit the first shot for the u.s that day and and that was really special for me um, cause, cause I'll never forget that handshaking it all a little bit on that. One. Yeah, just a little, just a little, but it was something that, like I said, I'll never, I'll never forget that. Oh yeah. Um, and, and even that entire week, but being able to hit the first tee shot and then finishing it off eight and seven, I think, uh, Norman and I were able to make some history there. Well, I, I talked to this episode hasn't posted yet, but I guess this is a, I guess it's a spoiler alert for people listening. One of the upcoming episodes is going to be Casey Martin, the head coach at Oregon. And I asked him a little bit about his players and he's like, well, you know, Aaron Wise has this going for him and had a lot of great, uh, you know, made a lot of mentions of his abilities and his mental toughness. And then he's like, Norman Jong's just a physical freak. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I was like, okay. And he really didn't give me an example of how he was a physical freak. Can you (laughs) maybe um, enlighten some of our listeners that are, that, that know who Norman Jong is or will know him soon? Uh, as as with you, but was there something that Norman has done on the golf course that you've kind of been shaking your head at, saying, "Okay, that's that's a little different level there." Yeah, well, obviously we had a couple guys that just hit the ball a country mile <laughs> on our team, um, and Norman was one of them. The the other being Cameron Champ, obviously. Yeah, uh, we've we've been able to see that on the PGA Tour, but Norman just he's a big guy, swings at it hard and and hits it straight, but. 
you know, from aside from that, he is just an amazing putter. I, I had so much trust in him, no matter where I hit it, that he'd be able to make a putt. And, and fortunately, we were both hitting good shots and, and putting really well. But uh, his overall game is just so um, finely tuned that, you know, he, he will play some really good golf uh, coming in the near future as a professional. And, you know, hitting the ball that far and that straight and, and also so high. It's, you know, it's a gift. It's a talent. It's something that he uses for sure in his game. Yeah. Well, I, I want to get to this this 2016 um, Air Capital Classic in Wichita, Kansas. I have a lot of family out in Kansas. Have you ever been to Kansas before? Uh, I have been to Kansas now three times, um, all for golf tournaments. I, I had my Transmiss 2015 out there. I played um, another Transmiss at Prairie Dunes and then this Air Capital. So nice. my record in Kansas so far has been all right. I'll, I'll take that record. Nice. So you get the, you get this uh, exemption playing in this uh, Air Capital Classic, a web event. Your first, I believe that's your first professional event. I know you played the same yeah. place. So that's your first professional event. You know, you see, you see people get into some of these events uh, as amateurs, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's Spieth playing in uh, the Byron Nelson or uh, some of the other uh, collegiate players. I know Garrett Barber, who's a guest, he just got into um, uh, he just got into the RSM Classic. When you're getting that opportunity, you mentioned earlier, you have nothing to lose. But you know that if you put up a couple decent rounds, miss a cut or whatever you do, everyone's just, you know, hey, he's an amateur, no problem. But when did it maybe sink in that, okay, I can actually really take advantage of this and, and do something special with this opportunity? I mean, I think from the, the start, I knew I was I wanted to be as prepared as I can. And seeing a lot of – I knew a few guys uh, that were on – that were playing that week that actually went to Cal and graduated. Brandon Hagee and Max Homer, who are on the PGA Tour now. Yeah. So I was able to kind of feel comfortable with them in the practice round and, and really get a claim to what's going on, what's around, what, what was funny is that when I did register for the event, they had no clue who I was. They <laughs> thought I was just some kid volunteering. Or, oh, that's perfect. Um, it was, I, I knew a year before because of the sunny hand I am win, and I, I wanted to be as prepared as I could. So coming into the event, obviously I wanted to win, but I just wanted to play some good golf. At the, at the end of the day, you, you just want to play good golf, and if it's not enough, it's not enough. But if you're kind of changing things up and, and doing things differently, it's kind of it puts you in a tough spot and it puts your back against the wall, which I didn't want to do. So after the first two rounds, I was just refreshing leaderboards, seeing if I was going to make the cut right. really. And then you, um, and then you get yeah. in there and you just go back to back 63 and, and you're in this, <laughs> I mean, then you're in this playoff with, uh, Ollie Schneider James who ended up winning. And, uh, the top of my head, I can't remember the third person, um, JJ spawn. That's right. JJ spawn. So you're in this playoff, uh, even in the practice rounds, were you looking for advice? Were people offering you advice? What's the dynamic there as an amateur? Are, are they taking the time to really help you along? Or are they more focused on, hey, I'm, I'm trying to get as much I, as many dollars as I can to get on the PGA Tour? Brandon and Max in the practice round were some of the best guys, and I still talk to them, and, and they still offer great advice um, coming up for me as, as I turn professional pretty soon. Right. So they were amazing. I, I didn't really have many other people that I knew out there, but – you know, they're, they're all supportive. They know that it's at the end of the day, like I said, it's just, it's just golf. Sure. And these guys have just had a few more years out there. They get comfortable. And I think 
having this fourth year of college, it, it feels comfortable. You know, as a freshman, when you step onto your first tee, it's kind of, it's nerve wracking. You don't know what it's like, really. You can't go and play a college event before you're a collegiate player. Um, and the, which is something I did, which is um, before that summer. That's that's why I played the Transmiss. That's why I liked to go play the Western Am and, and try and get into the USAM uh, to play as many amateur events to get used to what the fields are like. So their Capital Classic was just kind of a, a practice and, and lead into what my future wanted to be. Right. You, um, well, that's, that's, that's fantastic. I can't imagine what that's like just being in a playoff. And I mean, the cameras are on and, and the moment's right there. And, and I know that uh, Shiner Chains won it on the second playoff hole. Uh, you also got to play the 2018 Arnold Palmer. Uh, and you also played the Palmer Cup. You, you got to play the Ar- Arnold Palmer Invitational uh, through your involvement with the Palmer Cup. Uh, now that's, you know, that's your second PGA Tour event that you've played in. Any fond memories from that event? I, I know you made the cut. You got to play all four rounds. Did something hit you different at a PGA Tour event as opposed to a web event? Uh, just, just the level of, of play, the level of the course, and, and kind of how you're treated out there. Everyone out has their, has their kind of group and squad that, that follows along. And, you know, they all know what they're doing. It's, it's all a routine, and they all find this process, and they don't, don't even waver an, an, an inch off of it. They know what they're going to do, and, and that's what they do, and this is their job. But they enjoy it so much, and which is kind of cool because I look at them, and that's that's what I want to do. I want to be out there every single week with these guys and, and competing and, and kind of playing my best. So when you say their routine and their process, are you talking about like a, like specific players with their their like on their data? Okay, I'm going to play nine holes here. I'm going to go chip and putt here. Are you talking about that? Like, can you give me like one person in particular that you noticed that maybe had that routine that – kind of looks like something that's going to fit into what you're going to try and do? Yeah, I mean, I was able to play with Ben on, who also went to Cal and, and kind of left early. But, you know, I'm out there trying to play 18 holes and trying to figure everything out. He's out there nine holes done. He knows what he's going to go do, lunch, and then maybe putt a little, chip a little, and then they're done. They They get out of there when they need to, not stay extra time. And I think that's what I've learned the most kind of through these couple PGA tour events is that it's cool to be out there. It's, it's a dream, but if you know, it's like, you don't want to be stuck in an office for 24 hours, even though you love your job, you want to get out of there. So you, you get your work done and, and then you kind of move along. But as as an amateur, I kind of wanted to take everything in. I was able to go into Mr. Palmer's office which has been so amazing, um, you know, what he's done for the game and, and what he's doing with the Arnold Palmer Cup and where that's been the past couple of years. I've, it's been amazing. What was, uh, this is kind of a takeoff of a question that I asked to a couple, uh, a couple of the U.S. Mid-Am champs that got to stay in the, in the Crow's Nest at Augusta National, but you're entering Arnold Palmer's office where I'm guessing the memorabilia and the things in there are just absolutely mind-boggling. Is there something specific that you can or just i'm sure there's hundreds of specific things in there but did one thing jump out at you and say oh my gosh i can't believe i mean this is this is a time warp i'm in this is just a time capsule of of golf memorabilia was there something that you saw in there that just really jumped out at you when you step in that room it's almost like it's a different air and to be in his presence and i I was never able to meet him but i i did have actually i i met him the quickest 
minute maybe I, I took a long a family vacation when I was really young and he was there at Bay Hill and you know we weren't gonna go play Bay Hill but we just decided to show up and you know kind of walk around if that was possible and he was there and he signed a flag for me and I've had that flag in my room ever since I've been a little kid and you know just set me in his room seeing his chair and, and they don't touch anything they don't really change anything they add a few different memorabilia some some you know different pieces of of history that he's brought to us right. but just kind of being in there is just really special and and to know that he's done so much and you know he's still doing things for us even though he's not here is is kind of cool to look back and you know he'll always be special to me of course, when, and when being did, able to play. Of course, yeah. when, when did you get the flag? Um, it was a long time ago. I, I couldn't say when, but I was I was pretty young. Oh wow! So you just family vacation just rolled into Bay Hill, and you got to meet him, and then and then fast forward probably, oh gosh, we're thinking maybe 12, 13, 14 years, and now you're playing yeah. the Palmer Cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so it was pretty special to make that team a year and a half ago, and then to make last summer's team. Yeah. Yeah. Now, for people that don't know a lot about the Palmer Cup, it is not just an all-male or all-female uh, amateur team competition. So it's 12, uh, 12, gosh, I feel strange saying boys. But anyway, 12 men, 12 women. Uh, <laughs> how is that dynamic getting the 24 of you in the room? I know that one of our upcoming episodes is going to be Kristen Gilman. Uh, what are some of the things you took away by watching the ladies play? That they're good. They are really freaking good. They they make everything. They hit the ball super straight. I wish we we all hit it that straight. Right. But no, they're they're amazing players. And being able to play actually both. So I in twenty seventeen I was able to play just the men when it was just twelve men. Okay. And then this past summer was men and women. So getting to see these women play and it was kind of cool because in AJJs you, you do play the same events. You see all these girls and, and, you know, women now that we kind of grew up playing together because all the invitationals, you see them every single month um, out there on that circuit. So going to college, you don't see them because they all go to different schools. So having this tournament or having this, you know, format for men and women was kind of a full circle for me. Right. Um, coming into my senior year because I got to see a lot of girls that I, I played with and, and that I knew and just kind of see where they are. They're amazing players, amazing people, and I know a lot of them are going to do amazing things out on the LPGA. I know this is a hard one for you to pick one one particular, but which, <laughs> uh, which woman on the U.S. team would you not want any part of in a match? I've obviously playing different tees, but who did you just look at and say, I want no part of her? Uh, I couldn't name that. Okay. I mean, I'm sure they could all beat me on, on any given day. So, <laughs> okay. All right. But, uh, they're all, they're all really good. And yeah. The team we had was so strong from top to bottom, which is really cool to see. So speaking of elite female golfers, your girlfriend played collegiately at Pepperdine. Mm -hmm. Uh, she's chasing it. Uh, she's in China right now, chasing, uh, the professional path as well. What advice, uh, I mean, you guys share notes all the time. You played collegiately, both uh, D1 schools. Um, you know, what, what are some of the things that she shares with you about your game? What are some of the things that you share with her uh, about her game? You know, it's weird. You would think that two people that play golf would always talk about golf, but we kind of try and stay away from that. We talk about everything else, especially food. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, we don't. 
we don't talk about golf too much unless we're practicing together. And we, we do practice a lot together and, you know, I'll give some tips to her and I'll kind of try and pick off her, but she, you know, we, I think the amount of golf we play is, is a lot. And I, I don't think she even wants to hear me talk about golf uh, all the time. So she's learned about all these, you know, male players and, and all the amateurs and she loves uh, seeing my name up there. But I think the, when I'm with her, we, we try and, Keep it separate. Not talk about there golf. You go. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have a lot of people that listen to the podcast, whether or not they have a handicap that's plus two or twenty-two. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering if you could share a specific drill or practice routine that's been very successful for you that that you've been using for quite a while. Maybe something you know, the best players always practice with a purpose. So that's mm-hmm. that's what amateurs need to do. What's a drill that you use, whether it's a short game drill or something on the range? What's something that you can share that's been successful for you? So, you know, I've always been, I'd always like to think my strength has been ball striking and obviously I'm working on putting, but I think with ball striking on the range, I think a lot of people get too, too in rhythm and they, they find one mode and they're stuck in that mode hitting a seven iron, you know, for 30 balls. And what, what has worked for me was really, if I know what course I'm going to be playing in in the near future, just say our first tournament is in San Diego and I've played the farms, um, you know, on the range, what I'll do during practice like now is, is play the course in my head and I'll go and hit driver on the range. And then I'll say, okay, that's in the fairway. And then I'll hit another shot and say, okay, that's, that's this close. And yeah, I won't putt it out, but I'll, I'll play the course. And I think that's what, you know, people need to do and, and just kind of change it up. Cause we, we all have the struggle of, if we're hitting it on the range, amazing, and then go to the course and shoot, you know, over par or shoot our worst score. It's kind of because it's a different mentality. I think when people get stuck there, it's it's hard to get out. And I think for me, if, if I'm creative and, and seeing different shots and hitting different shots, it's, it's that's what's worked for me at least. Nice, nice. No, that's perfect. I, I know that that's something that a lot of our listeners have reached out saying, you know, you're, you're talking to all these great, great players, you know, share some of the knowledge. So that's, that's absolutely perfect. Um, you're, you're leaving the amateur ranks. You've, you've played Walker cup, you've played Palmer cup. You've, you've gotten to, you played the world. Uh, we didn't even talk about the world amateur team. You played with, uh, <laughs> talked to play with Cole and with, uh, Justin, you've gotten to do all these great things in traveling. Um, is there one particular event that you are really going to miss after your amateur days are done? I wouldn't say one, I've played the same kind of summer circuit for the past few years and they all mean so much to me because I've had successes that I've got to meet so many people. But I think what I'm going to miss the most is really my team. You know, we spend every single day, we spend every single hour in class with them and, and the coaches as well when we see them and travel with them. And and I think when we turn pro, is it's kind of a lonely lifestyle unless you have a couple people to come with you everywhere, but not everyone does. So having a team and having their back and, and them having your back is something that we all kind of want. And I think we take for granted, and I, I've definitely taken it for granted, and, and I'm kind of starting to realize it now in this last semester that – right. You know, I'm not going to have everything there for me. I'm going to have to figure everything out. Yeah, college gets you prepared for that, but nothing prepares you for what pro-life is going to be like. You know, there's no manual. uh, There's no, you know, how to become a professional. It's kind of you learn from your mistakes and and then you move forward and who's going to be the best at that. So I'm going to miss my team a lot. And it's been a special four years or three and a half so far. And, you know, I'm going to really enjoy and kind of, 
and see their futures and see their paths and what they're going to take, kind of be friends with them for life. And that's just the best about college. Sure. We have a couple of final questions. We have a dumb little segment called the uh, a quick bucket at the back of the range. So these are going to be really quick ones. What's the best swag you got at the Walker Cup? The stuff that you <laughs> at the Walker Cup. Yep. There's this pullover kind of a zip up top to bottom that has these kind of cloth sleeves, but a little puffy chest. And I also got that at the World Am, and I think they've they've kind of heard my request that I love these things. So <laughs> that that is by far my favorite jacket. I I still have it in my closet. I wear it all the time. It's beautiful. Nice. Are you a Tiger or a Phil guy? They're both California guys. Is, yeah. Which, who's your guy? I'm still a Tiger fan. I've grown up a Tiger fan and, you know, watching him play. But I, I love Phil. Um, I One of the guys on our team, Jamie Cheatham, has, has been able to play with Phil quite a bit at the Bridges in San Diego. So, you know, he always talks about Phil and, and we always talk about Tiger. Um, but I, I've always grown up watching Tiger. So he, he's always the man. And, nice. and he still will be. So hopefully he plays well uh, coming down the stretch. It's going to be a very interesting 2019. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I know you're going to be turning pro and trying to chase down that, but what are you most excited to see about 2019 as a golf fan? As a golf fan? Yeah. Uh, the competition. Yeah. Everywhere. There's young guys. There's older players playing well. I think everyone is playing well. And kind of the technology that's happening everywhere with all the club manufacturers and it's – you know, everyone, anyone can win on a certain day and yeah. a certain week. So it's kind of getting ready to compete with these guys. You know, I, I live for that competition. That's that's what drives me. Yeah. Well, you've had a lot of extensive travel in your amateur career all over the world. For the average golf traveler, whether they're going on a buddy's trip or they're going somewhere, what is the one thing that when you're on the road you absolutely have to bring with you? Um, you know, I got this hyperized foam roller maybe – a few years ago once i started college and it's a you know a vibrating foam roller yeah, yeah, yeah. that comes with me everywhere okay. you know that's it, somewhere i that's got to be with me it's i've been injured uh once um last winter right before the season started and it was kind of my first injury i hurt my back and i never want that to happen again so it's uh stretching is a big part of my routine now nice you had to play a tournament without wedges or without tees, which would you choose? Uh, um, I'd choose it without tees. Uh-huh. I, I think I'd be able to go around with my throat. Yep, yep. That seems to be a pretty popular one. Um, let's see. I always like asking this one. Would you rather um, Would you rather win the PGA Championship or be on two losing Ryder Cup teams? Um, you, I mean, you can't do both. Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> Is no, that an answer? That's not an answer, but you got you got to pick one. You had to pick one. Um, I mean, I think if I think if you won the PGA, then you'd have a good chance of making the Ryder Cup. That is the right answer. So, uh, right? That we'll is the, the that is the absolute right answer on that one. Perfect. Yeah. Um, let's see how we got introduced um, through Instagram. Is that you know I asked Stuart Hagestad. I said, you know, I know it's a tough question. I know it's a hard ask. I'm not trying to ask you to, you know, pick one over your over the guys in the 2017 team. But I'm like, who did who really caught your eye? And Stu said. Uh, I said, well, Morikawa just sits at, you know, 310 down the middle all day long. And I just say, he just said, I think he asked, he's like, how do you not just shoot 68 every day? (laughs) So if you had in the line of what Stu did, can you give me one on your team that you would, again, they're all phenomenal players. And this 2017 actually is going to look a lot like what that 07 team was with that, you know, they had DJ Ricky and Horschel and Webb Simpson and all those other guys. 
Uh, I think the, I think the 17 team is just going to be ridiculous as well. But um, one guy that jumped out. I mean, I've got to put my buddy Norman. Yeah. I mean, I was able to play with him uh, so many times coming up, and I, I still talk to him once in a while. So he, like I said, he hits the ball a lot farther than me for sure. Hits the ball straight, putts great. You know, it's. But then again, at the end of the day, that's what all those guys did. They yeah. they're able to put the ball in the hole and, and really get it done, and which is so cool because that's why golf is amazing. Everyone swings differently. Everyone hits the ball differently, but we're all able to kind of shoot some score. Final one I want to ask you is that you've played you played Walker Cup, you've played um, you played Palmer Cup. Who is someone mm-hmm. that you've got to meet? Maybe a great of the game, someone that is is a veteran. Um, you know, someone with a big amateur history or professional history, who's someone that you've met that you had to just shake your head after their conversation saying, I can't believe I just got to talk to that person. Oh, wow. Um, let's see. I think, you know, what was really special was we got to meet, um, president Bush during the Walker cup and to see how cool that was and, and really, you know, what they have to go through just to get him there right. at the Walker Cup was really special. But to meet him and have lunch with him and, and play a couple holes was amazing. Um, and, and how down to earth he was and just talking with all of us was, you know, really, really special. I mean, obviously the Walker Cup was named after, I think, his like great grandfather. Yeah. Um, so to have him there was was really cool. But I think you know, like I said, how I'm going to miss my team, all those guys on the Palmer, on Arnold Palmer Cup teams and the Walker Cup teams, not only the guys playing, but our coaches, the captains, the the people that travel with us um, that, that really aren't mentioned. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that I've gotten to get to know and stay in contact with, which is really cool because they kind of work through the, the ranks and, and they'll be there with the USGA just say at a US Open or, or down the road. You never know where you're going to see them. So, uh, Well, Colin, you have just given us a lot of great information and insight into your amazing amateur career. I know you're getting ready to wrap everything up with Cal, going to head into the NCAAs, and then you're off to the races chasing it down on the PGA Tour. So we wish you the best. We're going to follow you. We'll send some extra back of the range mojo your way as you make the make that journey and uh, i really do appreciate you joining us here today at uh, at the back of the range thank you for having me and there you have it another great episode here at the back of the range special thanks to colin morikawa for joining us this week good luck to you as you chase down a national championship with the cal bears don't forget leave a review in apple podcast can't stress that enough please check us out on instagram at the back of the range podcast We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. All of the links are available in the show notes of this episode. We will see you again next week for episode 63 here at the back of the range.